Happy Friday, Story Fam. What an awesome Holy Week and Easter Sunday we had at the Story Church. 2,500 people gathered over eight worship services on Holy Week and Easter Sunday. Um, and 200 people, over 200 people experienced the Story Church for the very first time. And in so many ways, God showed himself yet again to just be amazing. So, uh, listen, I want to tell you about a really creative way to get connected to the story's heart, uh, especially if you're new, if you're among the 200 plus people that experienced the story for the first time. I want to introduce you to the Maybe God podcast. Our team started this long form story based podcast three years ago. And since then, we've explored a wide range of topics from grief and the afterlife to dating and LGBT inclusion. Um, we started small. It's grown quite a bit. We're, we're seeing um, over 4,000 unique downloads per episode at this point and just continues to grow. In our most recent episode, we homed in on the grim realities of the global orphan crisis. And, you know, these days it takes a lot to shock me. I feel like I've seen it all. But I was absolutely arrested by what we learned while making this episode about orphans and foster kids and adoption. Um, and, and I'd love to invite you to check out this episode called Does Every Orphan Need Adopting? You can find it on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or go to maybegodpod.com. And if you wouldn't mind, if you go and, and use Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please consider leaving us a glowing review for Maybe God to inspire those Silicon Valley algorithms to give us a generous boost and be more visible to more people. So thank you so much in advance uh, for that. This week's reflection is an extension of my Easter message in which I encouraged Christians to follow Jesus with tough minds and soft hearts and not the other way around. Not only has God designed you to love him emotionally, as we often assume, but he also intended for you to love him intellectually so here are some additional thoughts on this matter. This is a reflection called Following Jesus, the Scholar. Most people know that Jesus was a great teacher and rhetorician whose storytelling skills were second to none. Believers often speak and sing of Jesus' warm heart and his merciful manner, especially in his interactions with unsavory tax collectors and sex workers. One of Christ's most evident characteristics, however, is also one that we most often overlook. His intellect was nothing short of elite. No one is sure where Jesus of Nazareth received his education, perhaps in Egypt, where he and his family lived under the radar for several years after escaping King Herod, having been regaled by the Magi with invaluable treasures like gold, frankincense, and myrrh, Joseph and Mary could have easily afforded a premier education for their firstborn. We also know that Jesus had an uncle named Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, who was himself highly educated. Maybe he helped educate his young nephew. It's also conceivable that between ages 12 and 30, in addition to working in construction, Jesus was educated in the Jerusalem temple by the religious elites. What really matters here is that Jesus clearly valued higher learning. He didn't just get by on his moral superiority or his charismatic charm. Jesus was an intellectual. Why does this matter? Well, because somehow along the way, Christianity has gained a reputation for being anti-intellectual, and Christians are too often seen as backward and brainwashed by our unbelieving peers. 
Recent studies show that as many as 8 out of 10 non-religious millennials believe Christians are uninformed and out of touch with reality. So how did this happen? How did we get from Jesus, the scholarly Savior, to where we are today? Part of the burden lies with the church, which has too often treated doubt and academia and intellectual curiosity as though they were the axis of evil. Too many young people who have questions have been shown the door uh, out of our churches, and that's on us. We can't say we love God without being genuinely intellectually curious about him and the world he's made. We can't say we love God and completely ignore science. Christians should be the first ones to stand up and applaud true scientific achievement. While it's true that Christians are primarily to blame for the perception that we are anti-intellectual, it must also be said that in recent years, a movement has mobilized in certain sectors of our society to marginalize all religions, and Christianity in particular. I'm not here whining about how Christians are so persecuted, although it could be said, I mean, it should be said, that on average, over 13 Christians are killed every day across the world for their faith. But... I confess, here in the U.S., it doesn't quite get that bad, at least not yet. In the U.S., they don't kill us. They just condescend and marginalize. They pat us on the heads and treat us like we're children who one day, with proper education, will outgrow all these backward, superstitious beliefs we hold about God. There's this idea that one day God will finally die in our imaginations, secular materialism will triumph at last, and when that day comes, all we'll need are science and reason. And this anti-Christian current is so strong, even the most secular voices in our culture are beginning to recognize it. Some of you may be familiar with The Onion, which is an online newspaper where everything is satire. They just make fun of everything. A few years back, they ran a piece called Local Church Full of Brainwashed Idiots Feeds Towns Poor Every Week. The story begins this way, quote, Sources confirmed today that the brainwashed morons at First Baptist Assembly of Christ, all of whom blindly accept whatever simplistic fairy tales are fed to them, volunteer each Wednesday night to provide meals to impoverished members of their community, unquote. At first glance, I thought this was going to be just another hit job on Christians and Christianity, but as I read the last line, I realized something else was going on. We try to help out as best we can, said 48-year-old Carrie Bellamy, one of the mindless sheep who adhered to a backward ideology and is incapable of thinking for herself while spooning out homemade shepherd's pie to a line of homeless individuals. She continues, quote, It feels great to share our blessings with the less fortunate. Plus, it's fun to work alongside all the members of our, and here it has, uh, uh, parentheses right so there's she said church and this is what they put in parentheses all the members of our corrupt institution of propaganda and lies <laughs> close parentheses who come out each week as of press time the brainless unthinking lemons lemmings had donated their winter clothing they no longer wore to several needy families and still hadn't opened their eyes to reality end quote i thought the joke was going to be on christians yet again But to my surprise, the Onion's joke was on those in our culture who condescend Christians and drag us through the mud while we just keep on doing what we do, believing in God, feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, and visiting the prisoners. We're all still waiting, by the way, for that atheist prison ministry that takes the world by storm. 
When it finally begins, it will be the first one ever. And that's precisely the point that the onion is making here. The truth is that Christians have always been intellectuals. Everywhere in the world, Christianity has gone. They've established the world's best schools, teaching boys and girls how to think, how to reason, and how to read. Many atheists resent it when you remind them that every great academic institution in America was founded by the Christians. These days, Harvard University is a hotbed of secular materialism, but Harvard's first mission statement was that its students be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. That was the first mission statement at Harvard University. So we Christians have a long and proud history of intellectual achievement. My favorite Christian academic was G.K. Chesterton, a 20th century philosopher who often debated famous atheists in public settings. People paid good money to watch Chesterton have his way with the likes of George Bernard Shaw. At one such event, Shaw believed that he had Chesterton on the metaphorical ropes. He said, you Christians must have an explanation for the problem of pain. You must explain why a loving God would allow for suffering. Chesterton thought for a moment before responding, I'll explain the problem of pain if you explain the problem of pleasure. You must explain why, in a cold, indifferent universe, there is beauty. Why is there ecstasy, intimacy, and joy? We may have a pain problem, but you, sir, have a pleasure problem. On another occasion, Chesterton was the only Christian on a panel at Oxford University, and a student asked all the panelists, if you were stranded on a deserted island, what's the one book you'd like most to have along with you? The academic atheists all proudly gave the sort of pat answers you might expect. Darwin's The Origin of Species, Paine's The Age of Reason, or anything by Nietzsche. Then came Chesterton's turn, and the moderator quipped, I suppose you'd want the Bible, Dr. Chesterton. Audience members snickered with condescending delight. But Chesterton didn't miss a beat. No, sir, he responded. I should like to have a book called The Practical Guide to Shipbuilding, of course. (laughs) Chesterton once famously wrote, The worst moment for the atheist is when he is really thankful and has no one to thank. But the second worst moment for some atheists might be running into a Christian like Chesterton. Just like Jesus' intellect shocked the elites of his day, many secularists today are shocked when they encounter Christians who've done their homework and, as an added bonus, have maintained their good sense of humor, like Chesterton did. You may be undecided about following Jesus, and it may be because of your intellect, because you enjoy learning and you love science, and, and that's who you are. I'm here to tell you that you can be a Christian and an intellectual. In fact, it's not even optional. Jesus demands it. Consider this. When they asked Jesus about the most important commandment, this is what he said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Here, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6, 5. But that verse says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jesus added the emphasis on the mind. He wants us to love God with all our minds. So there are many ways to do that. Obviously, Going deep and, and consistently going into Bible study is a huge part of this. The Psalms, for example, are always talking about meditating on the word of the Lord and the works of the Lord, which means stopping every day to take it all in, to think about God. Another way to love God with your mind is to ask questions. That's why we value questions so highly at the story. Loving God with all your mind doesn't mean giving up whenever you have doubts. 
You keep searching for the truth. A disciple of Jesus never stops learning, never stops reading, never stops growing. Loving God with all your mind means learning more about Him and the things He has made. And the more you learn about God, the more you learn to love Him. That's all for this week, everybody. I hope to see you this Sunday starting a brand new series called Your Cross-Shaped Life. We're talking about marriage for the first two weeks of this series. So I'd love to see you on Sunday morning in person or online. I love you guys. Bye-bye.